We're going to be this morning in Philemon, so I encourage you to go ahead and, and make your way there. It is only about a page and a half in your Bible, and so if you hit Hebrews, you've gone a little bit too far, back up, and you should be in Philemon. Hopefully that will help you to find it, and I'll give you a moment to do so. Pastor Jim is traveling out of town for a funeral this morning, and so uh, he has asked if I could step in, and I was grateful to do so, and I appreciate your prayers as we study God's Word together. Uh, that I would speak clearly. And so as you find Philemon, let me ask you, uh, what's the biggest favor, favor you were ever asked for? What's the biggest favor you were ever asked for? Favors, of course, come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes you could be asked to feed somebody's pet while they're out of town or to loan somebody a little bit of money. Uh, sometimes favors can uh, get bigger. They start as a small ask and then they turn into a big ask. Uh, I think of the example of uh, when you're asked to help somebody move. And you show up to help them move, and you think, I'm just taking some stuff out of the house and putting it in the back of the truck. And then they show you the sleeper sofa that's in the basement. And you say, wait, 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 wait. I thought this was a simple move. This has turned into a big ask. Or I think of sometimes when you sign up to help out with an event. You know, you've probably been there. Right? Yes, I, I can help out. And then suddenly you realize somebody put you in charge, right? And you think, oh, wait, that's not what I wanted to volunteer for. But, uh, but there you are. And so I'm going to help you this morning. I'm going to give you three warning signs that you're in for a big favor. Three warning signs that you may be in for a big favor. None of these is entirely conclusive, but altogether, maybe they'll help you identify the big favor before it hits you. The first one is if it's coming from family, right? Because family has the right to ask you to do things that nobody else gets to ask you to do. And so when that big project has to happen in the backyard, it's family that gets to show up with the rakes and with the shovels and to make it happen, right? So that's, that's, a, that's your first warning sign that it might be a big favor. The second one um, is, uh, let me see, the second one is if somebody reminds you that you owe them a favor. And so if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you remember when I helped you with your car? And you say, yeah, right? And you know what's coming next. Well, as it turns out, now I need your help. So that's your second warning sign. But the third warning sign, and probably the most telling warning sign, is when somebody takes a long time to explain the situation before they get around to asking you for the favor. So if it takes like five minutes for somebody to explain what's going on, but you know they're leading up to it, you can be pretty sure uh, that it's not just a simple favor, that it's a big favor. So those are three warnings. And the reason I get into those is because today, uh, Paul writes Philemon, he writes him a letter, and all three of those warning signs are there. Paul is going to ask Philemon for a big favor. It's a favor for family. It's a favor that Paul says Philemon already sort of owes him. And finally, it's a favor that it takes Paul a while to get around to asking. And so Paul writes Philemon and he asks him this favor. It's an appeal for radical grace. Now, just to, to set the scene for you, let's talk about Philemon. Philemon uh, lived in Colossae, or Colossae, sorry, um, or nearby, right? He was a wealthy man. He had a big house, and we know that because uh, Paul talks about him preparing a guest room. Uh, Paul talks about uh, him housing the church in his house. He has his family in his house. Uh, he also uh, has many servants, and so we know that Paul, Philemon has servants. So Philemon was a, a wealthy man. We also know that he was a Christian and a leader in the church. You're going to see that as we read through the letter. And so uh, that's who Philemon was. And Philemon was just one day going about his business 
I don't know what Philemon did, but he was doing whatever it is he does, and he gets a letter, right? Now, this by itself would have been an unusual occurrence. It wasn't like the post office now where you get all sorts of mail all the time. A letter had to be especially delivered, and so I'm sure Philemon was surprised to get a letter. But even more so, this was unusual because Philemon uh, got a letter from a man named Onesimus, now, Philemon knew Onesimus, but he would have been surprised to see him because he hadn't seen Onesimus in quite some time. You see, Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves that had run away. And so for Onesimus to show back up was a bit of a surprise for Philemon. Slavery was alive and well in the Roman Empire at the time. It was somewhat different than the slavery we think of today in American history. Slavery in the Roman Empire was not primarily based on race. It was really based on economics. It was not uncommon for slaves to be set free after some time or after finishing a particular job. Some of them could even buy their own freedom. Many slaves were given great responsibility or could own property or could have money. And different Bible translations even may call them servants or bond servants to help us to separate that from what we think of as American slavery. But still, they had no real rights under the Roman law. They were owned by wealthy men. And while some of them were treated generously and with respect, uh, some of them were not. Some of them were treated poorly and had no way to improve their situation. So Onesimus was a slave. He was Philemon's slave. He was a runaway slave. But now he comes back bearing a letter. So Philemon is understandably surprised, but even more so when he sees that this letter is from none other than the Apostle Paul. Philemon knows Paul. In fact, Philemon became a Christian through Paul's ministry, either directly or through one of Paul's disciples. And so what is Onesimus now doing showing up at Philemon's house with a letter from Paul? Philemon would be interested and so are we. So he opens the letter to find it out. Let's read along with him. Verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the letter starts with a, as, as kind of a standard and simple introduction. Paul introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ. This indicates that the letter was probably written from prison, probably prison in Rome, perhaps in Ephesus, but he had been thrown there for preaching the gospel. He says Timothy was there with him. Interestingly, this, this greeting departs from some of the standard greetings that Paul gives because he doesn't identify himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. If you look at most of Paul's other letters, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He doesn't say that here, which indicates a little bit to us that he's approaching Philemon not with the authority of an apostle, uh, but instead as a, a co-worker in ministry and a friend and a brother. He addresses the letter to Philemon. He calls him a beloved fellow worker. He also addresses it to Aphia, who is probably Philemon's sister, Archippus, likely Philemon's son, and then more broadly to this church that met in Philemon's house. And so even though this was a personal letter to Philemon, he includes the church as to be a part of it, to know what is going on. So as he gets through that greeting, he then goes on to greet Philemon more directly. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. 
And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So he tells Philemon of his prayer for him, specifically how thankful he is to have heard of Philemon's love and faith for Christ and for the church. He tells how he prays for Philemon and he, and he prays for the church to grow in Christ and in fellowship with each other. And then in verse 7, he has really a kind of a personal connection with Philemon. He says he gets joy and comfort from hearing of Philemon's love. He calls him a brother. He says Philemon has been a blessing to the church and has encouraged the believers around him. And so Paul clearly here has a genuine admiration, admiration for Philemon. And some of that has to have come from Onesimus because he's been talking to Onesimus, this runaway slave, and, and the slave has told him about Philemon and, and apparently had good things to say about Philemon because uh, Paul is clearly uh, has a genuine affection for Philemon and for his work. As Paul is in prison here, he would have been uh, comforted. He would have been, uh, gotten joy from hearing about the ministry that continued while he was in prison. Specifically here, he talks about hearing of Philemon's ministry and the work he's doing. And I think it would be a comfort to hear that ministry goes on without Paul being able to be there to do it. And I want to share with you that as a pastor and as pastors here at Staples Mill, we, are, uh, we, are, we, we get joy and we get comfort from seeing our church members step forward in the ministry, to see them answer God's call on their lives. To hear one of our church members share Christ is a comfort and a joy to us. To, to see someone answer God's call to international missions is always an encouragement to us. I once had somebody come up to me after our life group and they said, listen, this is something I, we studied in life group together and, and I want to start this ministry. I want to do what we just talked about in Bible study. And what a joy and encouragement that was for me to say, yes, I will help you to do that. What a great thing for somebody to respond to God's word. To see volunteers step up and serve in the church so that others can grow in Christ time after time it is an encouragement and a joy to us to see you as our church step forward in ministry to each other and to our community. So I want to thank you now and say you have been a joy and encouragement to us. Thank you for serving in ministry. And that was the case for Philemon. We see at this point that Paul appreciates him as a beloved brother in Christ and an effective minister to the church and it brings him comfort and joy. And I'm sure as, as Philemon is reading this, he is encouraged as well because now he knows that his work is not in vain. He's getting this encouragement from Paul that apparently he's having an impact. He is doing the right things. And so Philemon must have been encouraged and he continues to read. Let's look at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul starts off with this accordingly, or, or maybe you could read it, because of what I just said, because of this, I already know of your love and your ministry for Christ. And I know that you, you love God so much that if I were to command you to do this in Christ's name, you would obey the command. But he says, because I also already know that about you, uh, I want to not command you. I want to instead trust you to do the right thing. Paul is expressing confidence in Philemon's Christian maturity. 
When we raise children when they're young, we, we tell them step by step what they must do. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do next. Here's how you do it. And then as they get older, we trust them to figure out more and more on their own. And step by step, they learn to take their own initiative to do the right things on their own. When we train for a new job, when you get a trainer, they show you what to do step by step. You make a little notes. You write, here's how I do this. Here's how I do that. Here's what I do next, right? But as time goes on, the trainer wants to see us take next steps to grow, to take initiative, to solve problems on our own, right? Those are all steps of maturity. The same thing is true in the Christian life. As we grow in Christ, we learn more and more uh, what is his will, what is the right thing to do. We don't have to be commanded to obey. Instead, we see what the action of love is, and we can take it on our own. Paul describes Philemon as spiritually mature. He doesn't have to be commanded what to do. He will know what is right, and Paul is confident that he will do it. All that said, it doesn't stop Paul from putting a little bit of pressure on Philemon. Let's look at that verse, verse 9. He says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul describes himself first there as an old man, as a prisoner for, for Christ. Every time, uh, getting soon around this season, uh, I will sit down with my wife and, and with my daughter, actually a little closer to Christmas, and we will watch the movie White Christmas together. We watch it every year. My sons don't watch it. They don't want to watch it. No interest. But me and my wife and my daughter, we watch White Christmas. And it's got uh, Danny Kaye as Phil, uh, and it's got um, Ben Crosby playing a guy named Bob. All right, so Phil and Bob, they were soldiers together to begin the movie in World War II. And, and there's a bombing raid, and a wall starts to fall over. And Phil saves Bob, dies, takes him out of the way, and is injured in the process. And so the whole rest of the movie, uh, Phil and Bob are together. And every time Phil wants Bob to do something, he, he, he holds his elbow. And he says, oh, and it just acts up on me sometimes. It bothers me sometimes. And Bob knows that that's because Phil wants Bob to say yes. Whatever it is he wants, he holds that elbow and grimaces, and Bob's like, okay, fine. In fact, one point in the movie, he says, I wish you'd let, me, I wish you'd let the wall fall on me, right? Because he's so tired of that. Well, I, I, I get a little bit of that feeling here that Paul, Paul is figuratively holding, holding his elbow here. But, but Paul's not looking for sympathy. Paul is looking to remind Philemon of who is asking this. Who is asking it? It is Paul. Paul the Apostle, the older and wise Apostle. Paul the Apostle who led the ministry that led you to Christ, Philemon. Paul the Apostle who is now in prison for the gospel. That's the Paul who is asking this of you. It's not some random appeal. This is an appeal from the Apostle Paul. And so after Paul frames the request, he then begins his true appeal for Onesimus. And he starts by calling Onesimus my child, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, this is news to Philemon, because when Onesimus left, he was not a believer. In fact, he was a runaway slave who would cost Philemon money. But this is how Paul describes someone who he has led to Christ and he's begun discipling. Onesimus has become a Christian while visiting Paul. I wonder if Philemon was reading this. I wonder what his reaction was. The runaway slave, the problem servant, now comes back as a Christian, discipled and recommended by the Apostle Paul himself. 
Paul calls him his child. What, what must Philemon be thinking? I wonder if he's reading this and he stops and he looks over, he looks over the letter at Onesimus. Do you think, you think he celebrated with Onesimus? You think he gave him a big hug? You think he, he called out the whole household and told them uh, that Onesimus had become a Christian? Did he congratulate him? Was he perhaps skeptical? Did he think perhaps this was a little convenient that Onesimus, who was in such big trouble, now comes back with a letter from Paul saying he's a Christian? Was his mind racing? What did this mean for Onesimus and Philemon? What did it mean for his relationship with Paul? What was Paul asking? He reads on, and Paul here can't resist inserting a joke. He says that Onesimus is now useful instead of useless. Now, it's not really funny to us until maybe we realize that Onesimus in the Greek meant useful. And so Paul was doing a wordplay. He was saying that Onesimus is now living up to his name. Before, he didn't live up to his name. He was useless for you. He was a runaway slave. He cost you money. But now he has become useful. He is living up to his name. In fact, Paul goes on to talk about Onesimus in verses 12 through 16. He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness may not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and and in the Lord. Paul continues to describe Onesimus as both a close friend, a beloved brother, and a useful co-worker in ministry. He says, in sending Onesimus back, he is sending his very heart. So this does not reflect a brief encounter. It's not a casual acquaintance. Paul wants Philemon to understand that Onesimus has become a true friend and a vital help to him in ministry. In fact, Onesimus was so helpful to Paul that Paul wishes he could keep him with him there in jail. If Onesimus had been there helping Paul with Philemon's blessing, it would be almost as if he was helping Paul in Philemon's name. But that wasn't the case. Philemon hadn't sent Onesimus. Onesimus had run away, so Paul couldn't keep him there. He had to send him back to be reconciled. He had to return him and give Philemon a chance to do the, the right thing. Once again, Paul acknowledges that he doesn't want to presume. He doesn't want to tell Philemon what to do. In fact, he confidently trusts Philemon to know and to do the right thing. In verse 15, Paul says this may have been God's plan from the start. You see, God can take our messes, our frustrations, our disasters, and he can turn them to his own good purposes. There's a story about the artist Edwin Lanzier. Uh, Edwin Lancer was a popular Victorian-era artist in the 1800s. He was loved by royalty as well as the common people. And, and the story says that uh, one day he was sitting in an inn eating his food, and there was a table nearby uh, full of fishermen. The fishermen were telling stories and getting boisterous and loud. <clears throat> and one fisherman was telling a story so loudly and so boisterously that he, he threw his arms up, and at the same time a waitress was walking by, and he hit the tea and knocked the tea all over the wall that had just been painted. And so the fisherman was super upset because he had just stained the wall. And the innkeeper was, was angry because, the, because he just painted that wall and now I had a big tea stain on it. And it, the story says that Edwin Lanzier stood up and says, I think I can help. And he went up to his room and he got his brushes and he got his ink and he came back down. 
And he began slowly adding uh, ink and stroke after stroke, uh, transforming that tea stain into a beautiful stag in a mountain meadow. And bit by bit, this mess became a masterpiece. And he signed it with his name, Edwin Landseer, and so they all know who put that there. We often think our mess is out of God's hands, but God can take our messes, our frustrations, our disasters. He can redeem them for his good purposes, and Paul thinks that this is the case for Onesimus. Onesimus left Philemon as a runaway slave. It wasn't right. It wasn't convenient. It was messy and costly and wrong. But God has worked in it so that as Onesimus was gone for a short while, he has now returned to Philemon, not just as a slave, but even different and better. Now he returns as a brother in Christ forever. So this had been good for Paul, but it was even better for Philemon because now uh, he has a new brother in Christ, a new co-worker in ministry. Now at last, we see that Paul is getting to his actual request. He has taken his time to prepare the way. He has pointed out Philemon's love for the church and his effective ministry, his status as a brother and co-worker. He's pointed out Onesimus' conversion as a new Christian, a disciple of Paul, a beloved brother in Christ, and a useful co-worker in ministry. He has pointed out his trust in Philemon as a follower of Christ to do the right thing. And he has pointed out that God was at work even in Philemon's loss and in the conversion of Onesimus now to return as a beloved brother and co-worker in Christ. And so in verses 17 through 21, we finally hear Paul's ask of Philemon. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. See, amazingly here, Paul puts himself completely on the line for Onesimus. If Philemon wasn't sure how serious Paul was before, he knows now because Paul asked Philemon to treat Onesimus like he would treat Paul himself. What would, be, what would have been the expected treatment of Onesimus as a runaway slave? I, I don't know. Perhaps imprisonment? Certainly some sort of punishment, right? Maybe he would have to work off the debt he has incurred. Maybe he would have to have the most menial jobs in the household. Maybe he'd be forever in disfavor uh, in his service. Instead, Paul says, however he's wronged you, whatever he owes you, charge it to me. Now, clearly, Paul knows what Onesimus has done, but what he doesn't know is how Philemon feels about it or what, what loss Philemon counts. And Paul doesn't dismiss that. But he's willing to do whatever it takes to help Onesimus, including repaying Philemon directly if necessary. He signs it with his own hand. It was a legal IOU. Additionally, Paul reminds Philemon that it was his own ministry that bought, brought Philemon to Christ. And so Paul says, you can charge it to my account. You owe me even your own self. And note here, he doesn't just ask for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. What does he do? He asks Philemon to treat Onesimus as he would treat Paul, to treat him as a beloved brother. 
to treat this runaway slave as a valuable co-minister in Christ, to treat this runaway slave as an honored guest. It is an appeal for radical grace. Not only that Onesimus would escape punishment, not only that he'd be forgiven, but that he'd be treated with this, the same love and honor that Philemon would offer Paul himself. In verse 20, Paul sort of summarizes, he begins reminding Philemon of what he's written. He reminds them of their brotherhood in Christ. He asks for a benefit from him. That word benefit being, once again, a synonym for the word Onesimus, useful benefit Onesimus. And so another uh, bit of wordplay there. And he asks Philemon to refresh his heart. Just as Philemon had done for the saints and for the church, Paul asked now for Philemon to do it for him, to refresh his heart. And he goes on to say that he's confident that Philemon will do even more than he has asked. Having made his case, Paul then goes on to finish the letter, knowing that Philemon will do what is right. And so in verses 20 through 25, he asks for Philemon to prepare a room for him, a guest room, so he can stay there when he comes to visit. He passes on greetings from friends and co-ministers, and then he closes the letter in a blessing from Christ. And so as we get to the end of the letter, we can picture Philemon here, having read the letter, having seen everything that Paul has said about Onesimus, and now lowering the letter and looking at Onesimus. And what is it that Philemon does? How does the story end? Maybe he welcomes his new brother in Christ, forgiving him and offering him help. Maybe he even goes on to free Onesimus to serve Christ as a beloved brother and co-worker. Maybe he then sends Onesimus back to Paul to serve Paul in prison, to work there as a minister and as a co-minister in Christ. We don't know exactly what Philemon did, but we do have Philemon's reputation. We have Paul's intercession. We have Paul's confidence in Philemon. It seems very likely to me that, that Philemon responded in grace towards Onesimus, that Philemon restored Onesimus and perhaps even set him free to minister in Christ freely. We don't know what Philemon did with this letter. But let me ask you today, what are you going to do with this letter? Do you find yourself in the role of Onesimus? Do you find yourself in the role of Paul? Or do you find yourself in the role of Philemon? Martin Luther, when he commented on this letter, he rightly said, we are all Onesimi. We are all Onesimus. Each of us has rebelled against our master. God has created us to serve him, to follow him, to be in relationship with him. And each of us, the Bible says, has gone our own way, has done our own thing, has rejected God. The Bible calls that sin. And it says the wages of sin is death. We are all separated from God for eternity. But just as Paul offered to pay the price for Onesimus, he put himself on the line for Onesimus. Jesus Christ has put himself on the line for us. He paid the price for our sin. He went to the cross and took our death for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we can be reconciled to a relationship with God, so that we can be co-heirs with Christ forever. God looks on us and sees Christ's righteousness. We have not only mercy, but we have the radical grace of Jesus Christ. Is that you this morning? Have you found yourself far from God but unsure how you can get back? Let me remind you that Christ has stood in for you. He died on the cross, paid for your rebellion, and invites you to give your life for him. Give your life to him that you can be restored to relationship with God for eternity. 
You might find, uh, alternatively, that you're, that you're really Paul this morning. Like Paul, we are each called to love each other as Christ has loved us. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, A new commandment I give you, just as I, I'm sorry, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are commanded to love each other as Christ has loved us, sacrificially in the way that Christ sacrificed for us. Christ loves us so much that he gave his life for us, and Paul demonstrates that same love by sacrificing of what he had for Onesimus. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ like that? Are you involved in their lives? Do you know their needs? Are you praying for them on a regular basis? Are you willing to give your time and effort for their sakes and for their families? Will you serve in ministry for their benefit? What would you be willing to sacrifice to see two of your brothers or sisters in Christ be reconciled to forgive each other or to be helped in ministry? At Staples Mill, we see our life groups as a primary way for us to do this with one another. It's a way for us to know each other and to care for each other, to pray for each other. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group, that you should join a life group so that you can know what's going on in the, in the lives of the believers around you. So you can encourage them so that you can minister to them. And I would say don't even just be a part. Don't just come once a week and sit in there. But get to know the life group members so that you can truly care for them and be praying for them and serving each other. Also, I want you to note we have ways to serve throughout and beyond the church that allow us to serve and care for each other and to minister for each other. Are you willing to sacrificially love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Perhaps you find that Philemon himself is the position you're in this morning. See, Philemon was asked for an act of radical grace. He was asked to forgive and receive a runaway slave that had wronged him. And not only was he to forgive him, but he was to treat him like a beloved brother, a co-worker in ministry, and an honored guest. We are called to offer a radical grace to each other that goes beyond anything the world can understand. Over and over again, we are to sacrifice for each other and to offer forgiveness for each other. Is there a brother and sister in Christ that has wronged you or some kind of bad blood between you and another church member? This passage should encourage you to reconcile that, to go and forgive, to offer grace. But I want to also remind you that we are here to love our Christian family across all barriers. Just as Philemon was there to love this runaway slave and to treat him as an honored guest, we are to love those who are very different from us. We are to love those across cultural barriers, across economic barriers, those who come from different backgrounds, young and old, richer or poorer than us. Let me ask you, can you build loving relationships with loud people? Can you build loving relationships with introverts? Can you build loving relationships with people who are a little rude or who are a little abrasive or a little grumpy? Can you build loving relationships with people who are socially awkward or strange or who you don't quite seem to get? That is what Christ calls us to. He calls us to love those not just who are like us, but he calls us to love those who are least like us, who are sometimes hardest to love. But we love each other as Christ has loved us. Who can you reach out to? Who is it that needs your friendship or care today? I encourage you to think on that to look around, to build some relationships with people 
who need love, who need the family of Christ around them, who need a radical grace. Like Philemon, we are called to love each other like Christ has loved us. He who gave his life for us so that we could find eternal life in him is a radical appeal for radical grace. Let us love like Christ. You join me in prayer now? Father, we do do thank you for this letter to Philemon. We thank you for this reminder of your radical grace for us. God, that when we least deserved it, when we were rebelling against you, when we were disobeying you, even then you sent Jesus Christ to die for us, to pay the price for our sins, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us and because you have grace for us. And God, in him, we not only have forgiveness, but we are restored to relationship with you. We have eternity with you. And we have the blessings of being co-heirs with Christ. And so, God, we thank you for that reminder this morning. And I pray that as we have studied your word, God, you would help it to take root in our hearts, that it will be a transforming love for all of believers around us, God, that we would be able to love and grace those who are hard to love, that you would lead us to build relationships where we can care for each other and minister to each other and forgive each other across all barriers, just as you have forgiven us. God, we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.